Hi, everybody. You know what it is. It's me, Griff. Welcome to another edition of YWC Football Talk. This is episode number 246. I download FanDuel because we're getting ready to give you guys all the insights to what we think is going to happen this Sunday. Oh, you thought it was just me. You thought it was just me. If you're on YouTube, repping the Boston Patriots hoodie. No, 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 no. With the Boston Patriots playing Sunday, they're playing the Miami Dolphins. And who knows the Miami Dolphins better here than the boy to my right, Big Rat 310. How are you on this lovely Friday evening, sir? I'm doing great. I'm back in the old YouTube room for the uh, YWC faithful. Uh, for those who know, for those who don't know, I didn't always live here. I left for like six years, but now I'm back and uh, going to be here until I finish school for the most part. Uh, so, yeah, happy to be back. Um, I remember the Homer Simpson fathead from the first episode you and I recorded, which was like three and a half years ago. Yep. So that's where I had to come into play. But anyway, we're going to go into it. Obviously, Thursday night football, Eagles 34, Vikings 28. My big takeaway from the game, I don't know if I want to focus so much on how bad Minnesota was or the fact that for as bad as Minnesota played, they never really went away. Like, I feel like, is that more of a concern for the Eagles or is it more of a Vikings concern? Yeah, it's a classic like Rorschach test for the Eagles. You can kind of look into it whatever you want, depending on your preconceived notions. So there are a lot of Eagles fans that I have mentioned. They had a lot of injuries, uh, like Reed Blankenship didn't play, N'Kobe Dean didn't play, James Bradbury didn't play, Kenny Gainwell didn't play, although Swift kind of made that irrelevant. Uh, you can so like Maddox they, is probably out for the year. Maddox probably yeah, with his torn pack. So like you can, as an Eagles fan, you can probably say, okay, like with the exception of Maddox, all those guys they didn't have yesterday should be back pretty soon. So maybe the defense won't be that leaky in the future. Um, But on the other side, if you're someone like me who thought the Eagles got really lucky last year, like everyone knows the Vikings did. And the Eagles were an actually good team. It's not like they were frauds. They almost won the Super Bowl for a reason. But they also won a lot of one-score games. They also got really good injury luck last year. Uh, One of of the craziest stats I can ever remember for a Super Bowl team. They had all 22 opening day starters in that Super Bowl. Isn't that insane? Like anyone, anyone who got hurt during the year eventually came back. At some point in the year, so that's just the whole part of football, though. Like where it's like, if you stay healthy, you're gonna be there. So that's where health is wealth, especially when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. But I agree with you in the sense it's the Rorschach test. I'm excited to see now. Look, I'm gonna pull up. I gotta pull up their schedule because I know the Philadelphia Eagles. uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Their schedule is quite easy going forward. Not easy, but it's like there's a lot of wins. Like. Okay, you have the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football, the, the Commanders. Yeah, yeah. And then they go to Wa- then Washington comes to them. Then they go to the Rams. They Jets. go to the the Jets. They have you guys on Sunday Night Football, which that's going to be a very intriguing game. Yeah. And then at the Commanders, but that Week Nine game against the Dallas Cowboys before their bye week. So after the bye week is where it gets tough because after the bye week at the Chiefs, first the Bills, first the Niners, at the Cowboys. That's where I'm like, if you're the Eagles, you got to get fat and happy off of these wins you're supposed to get now to when you have that gauntlet. If you lose one or two in a row or two or three, you can afford to do that. I know they're 2-0, and but it's still, it's that whole, like, hey, you barely got by New England and you barely got by the Vikings, who the Buccaneers basically let the Buccaneers gave, they gave life to the Buccaneers. So we'll see what happens. But if I'm the Eagles, like, that's where I look at it, where I'm like, you got to get fat and happy, especially before that week nine clash against the uh, Dallas. Yeah, and like the to to that to your exact point, yes. If you're an Eagles fan, you should be happy that you're 2-0 oh 
as you just mentioned, the goal is to rack up these early season wins, whether they're deserved or not, because of the later season schedule that's coming. Yeah. Um, but on the other, but on the other hand, these two games were one score games. They were both close games. Obviously, I've been listening to a lot of New England media. Back door was wide open. Back door was open for Kirk yesterday. If Justin Jefferson doesn't fumble into the end zone, and obviously the Vikings also fumbled in their own territory as well at the start of the third quarter. So, like the Eagles, like look on a similar level to the Patriots and the Vikings. Which, if you want to win the Super Bowl, maybe that's not great. But so, like that's but that only matters insofar as if you don't play better, you'll start losing more games. But yeah. if you do play better, and if you get guys back from injury, and the schedule, as we just talked about, isn't so bad. These upcoming weeks, like at Jets, looks easier than it did a few weeks ago now. Like, now you can kind of talk yourself into, okay, they haven't looked great, but maybe they won't look like this the whole time. Maybe they will improve from this baseline, you know? Exactly. And plus, too, you have uh, Brian uh, – trying to remember, is it Brian Johnson or Ben Johnson? I think it's Ben Johnson. Um, Brian, Brian ben Johnson. Johnson's Detroit, yeah. Ben Johnson's Detroit. I was getting them mixed up. And then you have Sean Desai coming in, too. So I feel like once they get everything in order, it's going to be fine. The other thing I'll say, too, as well – I know everyone likes to talk about rookie of the like all these like awards, but Jalen Carr is making a very good case for all, defensive rookie of the year already. Like the, the kid, like you see him and you're like right away, he's gonna be something special. And he has a few things working for him. Like he's gonna be on a winning team most likely. Like yes. my cynicism towards the Eagles is towards them like going back to the Super Bowl or winning the division again, but not for yeah. like you know winning nine or ten games. You know that's or eleven games. That's a whole different thing. They'll be there in January. And so he's going to be on a winning team. That's going to help him. And the rest of the defensive rookie of the year field isn't that great this year with the exception of Will Anderson, who maybe could get a lot of sacks. But Will Anderson, I don't know if Will Anderson is going to be in enough winning football for that to get the attention of the voters. Whereas Philly, like anytime they make any move of any kind, people rave over it. Like already last night, the DeAndre Swift trade was so awesome, so incredible. Like like Jalen Carter, I think, is going to get that kind of like pixie dust from them making all these good roster decisions the past few years that I think yeah. is going to help them. And with Devon Witherspoon not playing last week, apparently he's going to play this week. Um, but unless he has a like legit sauce Gardner like impact right away, it's just going to be hard to see another high pick who can really like beat out uh, Carter for this award. I completely agree. I completely agree. And anyway, guys, we are going to move on to Sunday and I don't like to say this early, but the first game we're going to talk about this screams must win and that must win is for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, obviously, 0-1 is something. If you go to 0-2, it's one thing. You go to 0-2 in division, especially with Baltimore, how they're playing, the fact how good Cleveland looked last Sunday, you're really going to get behind the eight ball if you're the Bengals. So that's why I don't like to say must win week two of the season. But if you're the Bengals and you want to be back to that Super Bowl caliber, you were there two years ago, you were a – Silly push out of bounds last year in the AFC Championship game from being there. If you lose Sunday, I don't think it's like last year where you can bounce back. It's two conference losses, but more importantly, two divisional losses too. Yeah, and one of them is the home division loss to the Ravens. It'd be a little more excusable if the game was in Baltimore, which means if you lose this game, you have to make up for it in Baltimore later in the season when Baltimore Mm -hmm. is almost certainly going to be healthier than they are right now because – the Ravens, this Ravens injury report is brutal. Like Ronnie Stanley's not going to play. Tyler Lindenbaum's not going to play. Marcus Williams tore his pack. Uh, Freaking J.K. Dobbins is out for the year. Yeah, and uh, apparently Mark Andrews is also questionable on top of everything. He's um, I I did see this on Twitter earlier today. He is questionable, but he's projected to play. I believe that's what last came out about him. I don't know how effective he'll be, but yeah. he is projected to play. And and like, do do we know if Marlon Humphrey's coming back yet? 
I think he's. I remember on the, I think this was like the. I would say no. I would lean towards probably week three or week four for him. I haven't heard anything, but I, the last I heard, I think it was more looking to October for him to come back. Well, and it's exactly like what we said with the Eagles. It's like we judge the Bengals on a higher standard. It's like, yeah. can they go zero and two and like win enough games to make the AFC playoffs? Maybe. Yeah, they went zero and two last year, but the standard is higher for them. They're trying to win the division. They're trying to get to the Super Bowl. And as I've pointed out on this podcast before. The last two years when they won the division was after Lamar Jackson was out for the year, both years. And both, for sure one, I don't know if both, but definitely one of the two years, the Ravens were in the division lead before he got hurt. And so if Lamar does not get hurt and does not miss five to six games in December this time, you can't guarantee that you can just go on a late season surge like you've done the last two years to take the division. So with this being a home division game, 0-2 in the division, still having to go at Baltimore, still having to go at Pittsburgh, like yeah, no, I I I'm perfectly content calling this a must-win game for the aspirations of the. Fans. And also too, though, like with them, like hey, if you go one and one here, you can go on a nice little run because you get the Rams coming to town next week. Then you go to Tennessee, you have Arizona, Seattle before your bye week because after your bye week, knock knock, who's there but the San Francisco 49ers in the Bay Area? So this could be a little bit of a catalyst to like what we can expect from the Bengals going forward. I only said I don't like to use it just because obviously it's still so early in the season. But and they went 0 2 last year. It's just the, it's yeah. the divisional ramifications to where 0 and 2 in division really puts you back. Like, I'm already ready to say this, but that week four matchup, I believe, when you guys go to Buffalo, I think that's a bust win for the yep. Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah. Having already lost to Zach Wilson, uh, that the, the stakes couldn't be higher for that situation, especially. We'll see if the Dolphins – we'll get to our game later, yes. of course. If the Dolphins win this week too and then also win at Buffalo, like that – then Buffalo is going to be in a bad I'm going to come out of the gates in this next game uh, hot and spicy because it is taking place in a place where it is warm. I like the Chicago Bears to win on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know what it is. I like – they're part of my parlay for my – I like them on the spread. I like them to win, but I'm going to play it safe and take the two and a half. I just think that Tampa is this like – yeah, they looked great against Minnesota, but then they were given opportunity after opportunity. And the other thing with this game, too, I found out that Chicago's D.C., and his, and his name's escaping my mind, but he's out Sunday's game for personal matters, so Eberflus is going to be calling the plays. And I've always been saying this, that if Eberflus gets canned, he'll get a D.C. job next year, no problem. So I think this is a rebound chance for Chicago, especially, too, with them. Look, last week, you're supposed to win. New era of Chicago Bears football. Aaron Rodgers isn't there. What happened? I sniffed it out. I don't know who else sniffed it out. But a lot of people did, and now it's the Chicago Bears where it's this it's same shit, different year. So that's where I feel like a win Sunday can really like, hey, make people get fat and happy on the Bears before, you know what, they go to Kansas City next week. So just call me crazy, but that's – I really like them on the spread here and, the, and even the win. And, uh, and one – I, 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 I we don't have to go back to the yep. Ravens game, but I did want to like just say one last thing as a Bengals fan. Also, you just want to see Burrow look healthy and comfortable exactly. too. Like, even if that comes in a loss, if he like starts to look more like himself, that'll be really encouraging. Because if he, because like, there's kind of indications that he's still hurt. Like he said, the presser that his calf felt good yeah. enough in Sunday's game. It doesn't strike me as someone who's playing with a healthy calf right now. So, if you, yeah, just signs that he's healthy and getting back to it is is more than. I mean, did cutting his hair do enough? We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I do love that. Raekwon Mc... random story, but Raekwon McMillan got a roasted in coverage for the Dolphins back in 2018. He like played a really bad game. 
And the next day, he came to a press conference with a full buzz cut. And he was just like, he viewed it as some like sort of like manifestation of how like getting the haircut would make him play linebacker better the following week. Oh, we uh, so I, I do love So that, on the Bears, you're right. Um, I was on I was on the Bucks last week. Um, I, it actually, and I, it did not surprise me at all that they won outright. I didn't take the Vikings in Survivor League. I told my friend that Vikings, Vikings, Seahawks, and Chiefs ended up being three of the biggest spreads last week, and all three of them lost. The only two big spreads that I won the game outright were the Ravens and the Commanders, and even the Commanders was, was pretty close. So uh, I, I was on the Bucks last week, loved them, been th- thinking they've been a little underrated, thinking they're closer to an – I think they're going to be an 8-9 team. I think they're going to go 8-9, exactly what they did last year with Brady, and – that is may not be enough to save Bulls' job. It may not be enough to make the playoffs, but it certainly is better than what people were thinking a few weeks ago. So I don't know. There's some value to that. But having said that, I do agree with you that I was on the Bears last week, unlike you. Uh, good call on your end. I was wrong. And I was obviously disgusted in the moment watching the game. Uh, but at the same time, it would be foolish to watch the Bears play bad at week one and then think, okay, they're going to go 3-14 and 14 again. That's not really no. how this works. And and we say this all the time on the show, like division games are weird. Division games have high variance. If you ever want to throw out when analyzing the team the following week, division games is usually the ones you can throw away just because anything can happen in division game at any time. Danny's Jets beat the Bills last year as 12 and a half point underdogs. Um, the week after Zach Wilson got destroyed by the Patriots and Belichick, and the Bills played them the next week, and everyone said, well, they lost to the Patriots. The Bills are a much better team than the Patriots, so obviously they'll lose to the Bills since they lost to the Patriots, and they actually won the game outright. Division games are weird. So we can give the Bears a pass, and I do think these are kind of similar teams. So when you're getting two and a half on the spread, and I saw I saw a hilarious stat, Baker Mayfield is 0-8 against the spread his last eight times as a favorite. 0-8 against the spread the last eight times he was favored in a game. Like, all the other times he covered with the Rams were all, like, when he was an underdog. So, yeah, I, I think I, I, I think this can this can kind of go either way, and you're getting two and a half points of value here. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Bears, after playing so bad last week, like, kind of rebound against the beatable opponent. And not an intimidating road environment in any way. And, you know, like, if Todd Bowles, like, blitzes a lot, like – that goes both ways with mobile quarterbacks. I saw Brian Flores with the Dolphins destroy Lamar Jackson with a blitz-heavy scheme. You kind of saw yesterday Brian Flores uh, blitz Jalen Hurts a few times, and Jalen didn't really run for that much, but it no. did still expose some plays in the secondary down the field. And with Fields, if a lot of those Bulls blitzes don't get there and Fields now has an open room, like he really is an electric runner in the sense of he can have a 60-yard touchdown at any point in the game. Like I yeah. saw it against my Dolphins last year, maybe his best game last year. He – Truly, like he's on the opposing 30-yard line. And if he breaks free, he can go to the house. Like he he really is like Tyreek Hill in that sense, where he can score from almost anywhere on the field. So there's ways where the Bulls' defensive plan maybe doesn't work, leads to breakdowns, and leads to fields getting wide open. Also, I read uh, Carlton Davis is not going to be in this game. So that could be significant. EJ Moore maybe only had two catches last week. Probably going to be more involved this week. The, the Chase Claypool thing, I think it's just an L they have to take too. That's just something yeah. that we have to give. Um, when I look at the Justin Fields thing too, like also I hate to say this, but his Patriot game last year as well, he was just running rough shot over us. Like I say, that was just that was a bad game for the team as a whole. I just I hate that game. I I hate that game with a passion. But even like last year too, like remember Justin Fields last year. Look, they went three and fourteen, but two of his wins came against teams that San Francisco week one. Yep. 
outright. They beat them 19 to 10. And then the Patriot game. Obviously, the other one was Houston Texans. But the Texans last year were bad too. So it's kind of like a write off. But two of those wins were against quality opponents. So that's the thing now where it's like everyone's like, you know, what kind of bullet, like, kind of like, hey, look at Tampa. Then all of a sudden it could be, oh, hey, there's the, like, week two, I feel like, because week one, you always do get goofy results where it's like, hey, this team, hey, they might be better than we thought. But then yeah. week two is that week where it's kind of, hey, they're brought back down a couple pegs, like brought back down to reality. But then I can see this with the Bears, too, where they beat, like I was saying earlier, they beat the Buccaneers. And then it's like, hey, they're going to Kansas City. Let's see how they look. And then they just get absolutely destroyed. I can see something like that happening. And that's what makes week two fun. To me, it's, to me, it's one of the most fun weeks of the entire season because you're simultaneously balancing between not overreacting to last week mm-hmm. with also like, oh, what's this new information that we didn't expect? Like, mm-hmm. oh, the Dolphins like are actually going to win the AFC East this year or, or are they just going to be a wild card contender? Are the Bears actually – I mean, are the Bucks actually going to like be the team that wins the NFC South or is this just a week one mirage? And trying to – like ascertain those differences, like what's real and what's not real. Like the Rams last year were a great example. It's like they got blown out in week one, but it was to the Bills. Yeah. And people still expected that team to be an NFC contender. And it wasn't until like it took a few more weeks for everyone to realize, oh, no, this isn't the same team anymore. And week one was actually a warning sign, but we weren't sure whether to take it seriously or not because it was only one week of data. So kind of trying to figure out like what's real, what's not real, what's going to sustain a little bit. That's the fun part about the early season, in my opinion. And one thing about that Rams game is I always remember this, that I remember it being 28 to three and they were coming back and I'm like, please do this because it was against the Falcons. And I was just like, please come back from this so you can erase all your bad history and all that other stuff. But then speaking about those Falcons, they're playing Green Bay this week. Um, I don't get Atlanta being favorites in this game. I understand like, hey, they're at home. Like they looked pretty good last week, but then I think it's the same thing too, where both teams are coming off divisional games. But for this one, I'm sorry. I think Jordan Love impressed me more than the than anyone in Atlanta. But I feel like with Atlanta too, everyone looks at it as this player sucks just because they don't perform in fantasy football. That's honestly what I think about the Atlanta Falcons offense. Where if it's a, if they're a shit fantasy week, it's oh this player sucks. But then if they go up there and they put up 25 points in fantasy, it's hey they're great. Like how Jake like Drake London still looked good last week, but he only had five fantasy points. So. Don't take fantasy football as the end-all be-all to when it comes to looking at these players for a true evaluation. Watch the games. Yeah, and uh, I think I think London had even less points than that because he had zero catches. Uh, Pitts, Pitts might have been the one that got it. It may have been Pitts. I might have screwed the two up. My bad. So I agree with you. Uh, This, to me, is a very interesting game because it looks like Christian Watson is not going to play again. It looks like Aaron Jones is not going to play, which is significant, uh, obviously, because Aaron Jones was a big part of their win over the Bears last week. Uh, I did think, obviously, if you're just looking at the quarterbacks, yeah, Jordan Love looked a lot better than Desmond Ritter did. So you would think that he's the – and it's the Packers. You know, Matt LaFleur still has, like, an incredible record as a head coach. Uh, So, like, there's reasons to trust him. So this, to me, is a very good inflection point for what's different from last year. Is there – because there are – there were people in the NFL community, me being one of them, that thought the Falcons are going to win the NFC South this year. Not because – and I said this on the show – not because I thought they were going to be that good – I thought they would be like nine and eight, ten and seven, but I thought the Saints were a little overrated, and I thought they would just be the best of a bunch of mediocre teams. Get to the wild card round, lose to the highest performing wild card team, and like you know, like the NFC East loser, like and then and then be gone from our memories for forever. So like that's exactly how I kind of thought it would go. So this is a good litmus test. Is like is yeah. this different from last year, um, or? Is this just going to be the same from last year where the Packers are a better team than the Falcons, um, even with Aaron Rodgers going out the door? Uh, 
I, I was listening to a betting podcast yesterday that like they were walking through all the analytics and logic for why the Falcons could be a good side. And then he just goes, but I just have one problem. Desmond Ritter, that motherfucker back there is not real. <laughs> like I, he basically like went to explain how like Desmond Ritter was like, he like basically didn't play quarterback last week. Like he, he, he it's not that they ran the wildcat because they didn't, but he threw for less than a hundred yards, almost ha- more than half of his completions were at or behind the line of scrimmage. Like he just, it's so weird to see a quarterback be so uninvolved in, in the offense. You know, do you want to know something about Desmond Ritter? I actually found out this via part of my, uh, it's actually part of my take through uh, Barstool that um, as I was listening to this week, they were saying about him that he has never lost a game at home. So that's the one thing too, where it's like, I think it's like through high school through this, it's like, I don't Here's know if you've ever seen this, but, yeah, it's like Kyler Murray, too, at like AT&T Stadium since high school. He's never lost there. So next time Kyler Murray gets uh, Dallas' quarterback problem, hey, go trade for Kyler Murray. But uh, I'm just going to stick with Green Bay just because, like, I it's a trust thing. You know, it's like yeah. I trust them more. But I do agree with you on that litmus test take where it's like, hey, both teams, because whoever loses, it's going to be viewed as, hey, maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. But then with Green Bay, if they win, it's going to be, hey, look, the Packers, they just keep on rolling. And yeah, I, I do like I did take the Falcons, but I will I, I will say I liked it better when the Falcons were one and a half. They, initially, they were one and a half point underdogs, and then it flipped to where they were favorites. Same with I think Colts Houston was another example of that, where yeah. the home team was the dog and flipped to the favorite. I'd feel a lot more comfortable if the Falcons were um, getting points. Uh, I just think that would like be a lot. I, I would feel a little more comfortable, giving you a little more margin for error. Them being favored makes me a little uneasy, but I'm gonna. Marginally, I'm going to take the Falcons. I think I think the Packers not having Aaron Jones is going to matter. Um, I think like building an offense out of Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed and AJ Dillon. I, yes, it had no problems last week, but I think it's hard to sustain that way. Two games on the road for the Packers, but I totally understand trusting Lafleur and the organizational. A respect, you know, that the Packers deserve. So the the true litmus test for me for both teams of how the NFC North is going to go this year is that Week Four Thursday night game when Detroit goes to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. I think that's the game where it truly goes to show. And you mentioned this earlier, but the next game we're on to is Houston versus Indy. I'm going to go be honest with you. Houston is the favorite in this game. They're only they only got a point, but I, I like them to win. I just it's nothing to do with like the Colts, but it's just. I saw the film last week of what Trayvon Walker was able to do against that offensive line. And I yeah. feel like this week we're going to get that with Will Anderson where he's truly going to have his like, hey, that like, you know, oh, there's the welcome to the NFL moment for quarterbacks where they get rocked. I feel like for him, it's going to be that, hey, he, he, there's a reason why he was top three. There's a reason why he was so he could have been number one overall if it wasn't such a quarterback driven year. Um, and then the other thing I'll say, too, as well is. CJ Stroud last week, even though they lost, did not. I believe he had a really he had a really good week stats wise too. So I feel like this is that week too where we kind of see like, hey, Houston's got something. They got something. It's like it's not ready yet. It's still in the oven. You still gotta let it like cook. You still gotta let it like let the let the oven run out. But I think this is that week where people start to see with Houston where it's like, hey, maybe in a couple of years from now, like they'll be where Detroit is right now. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I, I believe in uh, – like Greg brought this up on our AFC preview. I, I believe yes. in D'Amico Ryans as a culture builder. Um, I do believe he's a great defensive mind. I yeah. did watch a good bit of that Texans-Ravens game last week. I just – I guess through like the quirkiness of red zone, I just happened to see a good portion <laughs> of it. And they were, they were genuinely giving the Ravens offense problems. Like the Ravens offense like did not really like click on all cylinders. They ended up scoring 25 points, but they needed some turnovers to do that. They needed some, some – 
some so a lot of the running backs got a lot of the goal line touchdowns. Like the Colts, you don't really have to worry about that as much with no Jonathan Taylor. I think it's a mistake. I think I think a lot of people their instinct is okay. Richardson looked better than Stroud last week. So amongst these two bad teams where I don't know anything about either team, I will just defer to the quote-unquote better-looking rookie quarterback. But I think Richardson going against this defense is a significant test. Um, now, it should be noted the Texans, the Texans injury report was pretty thick uh, this past week. Like I know Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward uh, both didn't practice Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know if they're going to end up playing. So that, that certainly does matter. But I still foresee – the kind of, I, th- I thought going into the year that the Texans were a little bit closer to contending than the Colts were um, because, like, they had been rebuilding for two years already. The Colts just started it last year. They got a bunch of veterans in the building. Will Anderson is as good as anybody the Colts have on the entire defensive side of the ball, with all due respect to DeForest Buckner, of course, who played great last year. Yep. But I think, I, think, uh, I think both quarterbacks may have their struggles, but I think this is the game where you see, like, the – the three interception game from Anthony Richardson or like the five sack game from Anthony Richardson. And, you know, like not that their season's on the line because we don't really first project the Texans to be an AFC South threat, but this is home to the Colts. I mean, like you cannot lose this game if you care about this division at all. Yeah. That, that also, if I'm not, I'm not going to bet on this game, but I look at that under at 39 and a half and I'm like, if you're going to bet something for this game, I think that's the one to take, take the under. Cause I could see this being like, you know, like a 17 to 14 kind of football game where it's just like, Hey, a field goal difference that matters. Yeah. And I, I, um, just to confirm, I just uh, looked it up just now. Yeah. Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward are both out, but still ooh. I'm going to put trust in D'Amico Ryan's. I'm going to still put trust in the pass rush uh, making a difference in the Colts offensive line. Like you said, Colts can't really run the ball. Like none of their running backs did very well last week from an analytics perspective. And last week, Richardson was at home. This is on the road. He had a, yes. he had a defensive touchdown last week. I don't know if he's going to get lucky and get that again this week. Uh, so, yeah, I'm still sticking with the Texans, but definitely that, that hurts. And, hey, like to your point about the under, you kind of have two ways to win. It's like both offenses could struggle, and then whoever wins, the under hits. Or if the Texans, like – win like 17 to six, you know, where they just like completely shut down the Colts. Then your under catches that way too. So I like it. Yep. Uh, yep. And we're staying in the AFC South because Jacksonville is hosting Kansas city this week. And I heard Peter King talking this morning and he made a really good point of something that's going to play in the chiefs favor and why I like the chiefs to bounce back here on my annual TikTok, Instagram, real Twitter video. They are my second bet. And that is the chiefs on the money line straight up just because the weather Sunday in Jacksonville, it's only going to be like 88 and like cloudy. And I think a little bit of chance of rain. So I know it doesn't sound like much, but those Jacksonville games in the middle of September, they're not fun. 2018. I remember the Patriots went into Jacksonville. It was stupid hot that day. I think it was in the hundred degrees by the second quarter. You could tell the team was completely gassed. And that was the year two where, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen to the Colts by no means, but I remember that year where everyone thought, Hey, is Jacksonville going to be good? Look at Jacksonville. But then they just like the rest of the way. So I got like, there's some other games like Chicago too. I think is in that similar boat where it's like, Hey, they go to Florida and then the rest of the season's like, Oh, Hey, they're not that. But with, um, but with this game, I just think this is the perfect like get right game. Chris Jones is back in the building. Travis Kelsey is like doing the like faking the injury and then doing like the, the there's a booty shake video online. Like this just feels like that like get right game for the Chiefs because look you have all these like perennial teams. But I think we already said earlier Cincinnati's under the most pressure to win because say if Kansas City were to lose, no one's gonna like write them off. No one would write them off at all. Into 
Yeah, and it, it, it shows the betters' faith in Patrick Mahomes that the Jaguars, you know, a team that a lot of people respect, that a lot of people think is on the rise, and the Chiefs are not just three-point favorites in the road, they're three-and-a-half-point favorites in the road. Like, betters are so confident that Mahomes is going to bounce back that they're actually giving you the hook uh, on the Chiefs to win pretty solidly. And there's a lot of data that supports this. So we talk on the show all the time, all the time, that the yeah. Chiefs, as big favorites, super overrated. But terrible spread team. <laughs> the team, the Chiefs, though, as short as underdogs or as very, very small favorites, a little bit different. Like last year, a great example of this, they played San Francisco in San Francisco and they were like, Whooped them. yeah, they, they were like two point favorites. And everyone's like, oh, this is a coin flip game. The Niners are a Super Bowl caliber team. I might as well take the better team at home. And the Chiefs just murdered them, like straight up murder 44 to 22 or something like that. So, yeah, like I, 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 like this does kind of like Patrick Mahomes is thirteen and three in his career uh, against the spread off a loss, and I think he's only, I think he's only lost one games back to back in his career. I think I think it was like in the twenty nineteen season when they were like seven and four at mid season or something like that. But other than that, has never lost back to back games in his career. So, I I think people overrated the Chiefs last week. I think people overrated what the loss of Travis Kelsey would mean. I mean, I mean, underrated what the loss of Travis Kelsey would mean. I think they didn't factor in how much that would hurt the offense enough. And I think now that Kelsey's back, I think everything's going to be fine. Like, yes, Tony and Sky Moore were awful. Yes. But think of it this way. At least they were open. They were open. They just, they, they look, they, they dropped like really easy stuff. Like even if you think, Oh, they're bad receivers. They're not going to literally drop every single pass they get for the rest of the season. Like all they have to do is like, catch three of the six wide open passes that they get, you know, instead of six out of six. So I, I, I think they're going to be fine. I, I think so too. I think so too. Um, next game, Buffalo at Buffalo versus Las Vegas in their home opener. Uh, this is my other, the third leg to my parlay of the over of 47 points. I think, I think we'll get a shootout. I I'll be honest with you here. I don't trust the eight and a half fully. I know Jacoby Myers isn't playing for Las Vegas, I was on Las Vegas big last week at the plus four and a half just because I know they've had Denver's number the last four years. Yep. But with this game right here, and I'll say this with Josh Allen because I know look, you're a medical school right now. You're a smart guy. You've probably um, come through a lot of these people. But Josh Allen to me, you know that like kid who is like he's dumb, but you know deep down you're like if you replied yourself, you're actually really fucking smart. Yeah. That's Josh Allen as a quarterback because – he needs that, and also too, he needs that guy to like sit him down on the sidelines and just like smack him in the face and be like, "Buddy, calm down." Because like we saw, like for example, like Ken Dorsey's not going to do that. We know what Ken Dorsey did in Miami last year, the meltdown after you guys beat them, and Sean McDermott's got his hands full calling the defense. So I think it's up to Josh to really just be like, "Hey, I can't do any of these plays." Because like, let's be honest with you, those interceptions, those that was 2018, 2019, Josh Allen. That wasn't 2020. 2020's Josh Allen. No, no, no. So if they're going to win big, he's got to play smart football. He just can't go out there and try to do too much. Because even last week, I felt like if they they their loss was basically the same thing as the Vikings, where they let the Jets hang around. They did a few boneheaded plays. Jordan Whitehead didn't mind. I mean, the guy's got his three interception bonus of 250K on the year already. But um, so that's the thing with this game. Like, I like the Bills to win, but I don't think it's going to be a comfortable when i feel like vegas is still going to make some plays where everyone's like hey is vegas really this good like i know they're one and one but they held the bills in tight but then they have a game down the road where it's like oh no they're terrible yeah i don't 
to me, it's kind of like it's kind of a boring game. It's like the Bills are almost yeah. certainly going to win. The only drama is whether or not they cover, and they're going to bounce mm-hmm. back. And it's like, yeah, I can see them covering. I can see them not covering. It's like I just don't. I don't. I don't know what to do with this. You know, like I do. I, I, I did think it was a no- – look, it was just – it was very annoying on Monday or Tuesday, the people that are like, you know, this proves that Josh Allen's ultimately not an elite quarterback. Obviously not. Obviously, he's been an elite quarterback. Danny. He's been an elite quarterback for three years. Um, it is what it is. Like, we have to trust a larger body of work over a bad game, especially against a team that yeah. – especially against a team that he also played bad against last year. Having said that, what we shouldn't also do is then this Sunday, if he has like three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 300 yards, be like, oh, everything's fixed. It's like that would similarly yeah. like not be correct either. Like you have to see it over the course of the full season because look, Greg and a lot of people pointed to Josh Allen's numbers being down after he had his uh, UCL injury last year, right? So now that we assume from all we would know, the UCL is totally fine now. So now if the numbers keep not looking the same, you, you're not just building off one game. You are building off a little bit of a sample size from last year too and how that Bengals game ended especially with like his yeah. – he leads the NFL in turnovers last few years and all that. But Monday was not enough evidence yet to like change his standing amongst the league's quarterbacks. We need a full season. We need a full season before we even before we even can have that discussion. Yeah, like I like that's my that's my big thing too with him where it's like you can't just say, oh, he's a bad quarterback. I like to say just because like, look, I don't like the team. But – with him though, you know that like, look, the body of works there. It was one game. I, I was just saying the whole stuff with everything with you because he was trying to play hero ball a lot Monday, and even still, how with all of his with all of his quarterback runs, he was just not going down. I'm like, Josh, you gotta slide in those moments. Like, you gotta preserve yourself to where it's just like you can't play hero ball. If you let just sit sit back in the pocket, do your thing, you can go from here. One player, though, I will point out that I think could have a big game Sunday for them is either there's two people, Gabe Davis mm-hmm. or Dawson Knox. Yeah, I like I like that call a lot. And I think that Josh Allen is going to have to put a little more trust in these people. And look, like that, turnovers like that, like that, that's how you lose a locker room. And again, again, not saying that we've done that after one game, need a full season, need a lot more evidence, but there's more significant effects to just like losing the literal game. It's like, if people start looking at you like, oh, this isn't going to stop. This is going to like keep being a thing. You know, it's you start you start to fray relationships a little bit that way. But yes, I agree. Like uh, D- Davis and Knox both good calls. You know how they say too, like that whole expression, "Don't look behind the curtain" or "Don't peel back the curtain." Yeah, that's what it is with the interception thing. Don't like, hey, we've seen like what can happen if he has a bad game. Don't just like look behind and be like, what can happen if he has a bad season? No, don't do that. Um, Tennessee versus LA. This is a game where I feel like it can. I feel like we learned two things. One, I know everyone likes to put, oh, Tannehill is bad, but remember, they, they still could have won that football game. Yep. But the chart, they're hosting the Chargers. Chargers obviously coming off of that fireworks spectacular with you guys last Sunday. I was thinking Chargers with this game, but I always look at this. They're plus two and a half, they're at home. And Mike Vrabel teams are the most susceptible to wins when you don't think they're going to do it. Give me the Titans I, here. I saw I saw a crazy stat the other day that when he's an underdog at home, Mike Vrabel in his career, he has a winning record outright. So not just like not just like against the spread. Against the spread, he's like something insane. Like the money line. Yeah, like straight up, just you're an underdog at home. He wins more often than he loses. It, it's it's crazy. And yeah, 
I do. This this game intrigues me too. Uh, there is part of me that does think this is kind of the Titans, like re- they're a resilient team. You know, this is the bounce back spot, and not, certainly nothing I saw from the Chargers defense last week makes me think that they're going to have the same performance that the Saints did. Uh, now, I believe DeAndre Hopkins is not playing in this game, so that is like one mild concern. I, I believe so. I could be wrong on that, but I could have sworn I read that somewhere. Uh, and so that is certainly like an issue. Don't get me wrong, but I still think. Austin Eckler not playing in this game matters. Austin Eckler has been a very underrated part of the Chargers offense for a very, very long time. Been yelling this on the show for years. Justin Herbert has always, always, always had a low average depth of target. Always. His rookie year under Shane Steichen, who everybody loves, he was 25th in the NFL on average depth of target. Yes, he has a cannon arm. Yes, he makes one or two throws a game where you're like, there's no other quarterback in the league that can do that. He's always generally thrown it short. Always. His whole career, the whole summer-long narrative that it was Joe Lombardi's fault this whole time was never accurate. And a big part of the reason for that is when your best players are Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, those are lower depth of target guys. You know, it's like if Brady is throwing to Deion Lewis and Julian Edelman, those are going to be sub 10 average depth of target throws yeah. more often than not. Like it's, I'm not even saying, I'm not even like trying to use it as like a character flaw. It's just like, it's how they're built. They rely on Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Those are lower ADOT guys. Like that's how I, it works. And so not having that. Yeah, I was also going to say too, I know we'll talk about your defense uh, in a little bit, but the, 200-yard game, obviously Austin Eckler's not playing. I would Even if Austin Eckler's playing, I would trust Jeffrey Simmons in that Titans front seven, who really limited New Orleans in the run game last week to prevent them from doing the same thing that they did against Miami. So that's my other spiel with it, too, where I just feel like the Titans front seven is better than what the Saint, what the Dolphins front seven was looked like last week. That was a mouthful for me. I, I, should, also just, I should also just say that um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is actually Ooh. questionable. Uh, but he did not practice the whole week. He didn't practice Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. But he's so probably going to be that whole, like, hey, Sunday, go and test it out. And then by, like, 1130, we'll see. Oh, he's not playing. Um, but and, uh, but also, no, also notable for the Chargers is Eric Kendricks is not playing. Um, so that could definitely matter as well. Lo- Joey Bosa, I think, is going to end up playing. He was limited today. Maybe he doesn't. And if he doesn't, you like the Titans even more. But not having Eric Kendricks and not having Austin Eckler, that, that him and Mac were sure. such ghosts last Sunday that they need to have that get right game, the two of them. Um, so Detroit hosts Seattle. I have a bit of nerd stats for you in this game. So obviously Detroit played Seattle 2021 and 2022. Do you know that if they go over 80 points in this game, that it will be the first time in, I believe, in NFL history where like their three meetings have all gone 80 or more? They played 51 to 29 and 21. 48 to 45 last year, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Um, I'm going to go with the game. I feel like everyone is so on Detroit to do this because of what happened last Sunday. I will say this. I lo- this is the same thing as the Jacksonville KC game. I like Detroit to win. I don't know if I like Detroit to cover. I think Seattle, they looked bad last week. Who knows if Aiden Hutchinson is going to make Geno Smith scream, oh, my God, which to everyone laughing at that, I'm like, if Aaron Donald did that, you'd hear me audibly shit myself. Um, but I think this – I just – that's how I that's how I see this game. I think this is going to be that, like, fireworks, like, holy shit game where, like, both teams are just going back and forth. I think breakout game here, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think that's a player to look for. I know he's still coming off the hand injury, but, like, they, they barely used last week to where this week it's going to be like that, hey – Look at this here. But then I feel like 
man, if this could be such like knowing the Lions, this reeks of Lions loss just because it's like, you know, their fans are getting their hopes up, season tickets sold out, Ford Field's gonna be loud Sunday afternoon. A stadium I was at a month ago for SummerSlam, which I'll say this. From the outside, it's like it's nothing special, but inside, it's got a cool feature. It's like it's a cooler interior than exterior. But yeah, so I feel like I like the Lions to win, but it would not shock me if they lost this game outright. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm. I think it's a coin flip game personally, and so when you're getting like five points, I mean, or four and a half points, I guess now. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. At, I'm literally looking at our, our our ticker at the bottom, four and a half. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot yep. of sense. So. Yeah, for that reason, I, I I do like them on the the Hawks uh, on the spread on this, and also like I, for like any betters out there, like I guess one thing I did in my Fab Five, I don't think I've announced it yet on the show. My my five favorite picks this week, I took the Texans, I took the Falcons, I took the Falcons when they were one and a half though underdogs, mm-hmm. not okay. when they were favorites, but still, I'll 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 I'll, I'll bulb up, I'll keep them, and then the uh, the the Seahawks were the third team uh, that that I ended up. The 13 that I ended up taking. And I'm trying to remember what the okay, well, we'll get to the other two later. So yeah. as a better, one thing you can take solace in is that the Lions, even if they win this game, it's not a guarantee that they'll win this game with margin, you know? Like the way they play, where they're so run heavy. And if you look at their best players on offense, like not including the offensive line, it's Amon Ross St. Brown, sure. And then it's probably David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Um, so if they're gonna teams that usually rely very heavily on the running backs, what happens? Like you're going very slow. You're draining the clock. You're not really getting a lot of explosive plays. Like I think even if the lines, like let's say fine. Okay. The Seahawks D line is terrible. The Seahawks D line got no pressure on the Rams O line last week, which is really concerning when the Rams O line isn't supposed to be that good, but like just to cut you off quickly, the Seahawks O line though, Charles cross. And I believe Abraham Lucas, both are going to be missing this game Sunday. Yes. And they, there's actually like, look, we could talk about like how good they are or aren't at this point in their careers, but there is a crazy stat that like in the first half, the Seahawks offense was fine. In the second half, they had 12, like they had literally 12 total yards, but they had three yards until the very last play. Like literally on the last play, they like did a running play that gained 10 yards and that made it look like they got 12 yards in the second half. But truly they, they just, they had five straight three and outs in the second half. They literally just didn't move the ball without, and that was after those tackles got hurt. So it definitely does matter. But you can take solace that even if the Lions win, because of how they play, it's really hard for them to blow a team out. You know, it's hard for them to win by like seven or more. Seven of their points last week came on a pick six. And like, even if you get interceptions as a defense, you can't always guarantee that you're going to be in position to return it for a touchdown. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's often like outside of your control. So I think it's fair to assume that the Lions, even if they play well, even if they win, are they going to win by like seven points or are they going to win by like a field goal, you know? And so I, I think it can go. I think it's a field goal game either way. And don't be surprised if the Seahawks, Pete Carroll, great coach, great organization. What great coaches and great organizations do is they have this like sense of resilience to them. You see this with Mike Tomlin all the time. We'll get to them yeah. in a bit. Yes. Uh, like it wouldn't surprise me if this is like that like motivational spot where the Seahawks come out and try to save their season. Yeah, exactly. Whereas that win now, it's like everyone's like, oh, Detroit, I don't know. But then, like, they have a ball. I was looking ahead. They have Atlanta week three at home. But then, like, I'm telling you, that week four game with Detroit and Green Bay, that's going to go a long way to proving who's going to win this division. And out of every game this week, I know we talked to Cincinnati about being a must win. If you're the New York Giants, oh, yeah. <laughs> you like, 
that game was Murphy's Law for all the wrong reasons. Like, like Giants fans out there were like, I feel like they were blaming everyone but Daniel for the loss. Yeah. Did you, I don't know if you saw this. His QBR was 12 and his average time of throw was about 3.2 seconds when the league average is 2.7 seconds. Like, it was like, actually, you know what? I have to go through like my DM history with Danny because him and I were talking about this on uh, Monday and. Basically, what was it called? Like some Giants fans were just yeah. Like, and and why do you look it up? I can interlude that. Yeah. I like I was talking to our got friend, it right here. By the way, oh yeah, so, uh, you go first. You go first. You go first. Jared, Bye, but, yeah, I was talking to him about it, and yeah. it's like I guess Giants fans towards the end of Eli's tenure, you know, they got very accustomed to always blaming the offensive line whenever Eli would play bad, and always saying, "Oh, the offensive line didn't give the quarterback a chance. You can't really like take anything from it." Um, so I guess they're kind of using similar logic uh, with regards to Daniel Jones in that game, but some of those turnovers were on him. And it's 40 to nothing, you know? Like, I get it. Like, a fluky special teams touchdown and a pick six. Saquon dropping the ball. But, like, I don't know, man. They showed no resilience. Like, they they were not able to mount any sort of drive for the rest of the game. And, yes, the Cowboys' front is ferocious. But if you lose to – the car, the the Cardinals, who actually, who their D line actually played pretty decently last week. Um, they had six sacks, I think, on Sam Howell or something like that. So, I, I, I wouldn't touch the spread. Like either way, I have no way of knowing. Are the Giants going to blow them out? Are the Giants going to win very narrowly? I have no way of knowing. But yeah, talk about season on the line with the Bengals. It was okay. If you guys lose, maybe you can make the playoffs, but you probably can't win the division if you lose this game. Yeah. With the Giants, it's no, no, no. I don't think you can make the playoffs if you lose this game. Like, you just have too many other hard games in the schedule. Up next on Danny Dimes on primetime is next Thursday night as Big Rat and I will be here to look at week three and watch the Giants probably get pummeled by the 49ers. And watch the 49ers so, win to watch a Niners win, which is what we're going to watch. <laughs> yes. Um. So I sent this to you. This is from Doug Analytics on Twitter. Um. He had one completion of 10-plus air yards. 13 of 15 completions were six air yards or less. 5.8 attempted ADOT, average depth of target. Uh, 2.2 completed average depth of target. 2 of 15 attempts in a tight window. And 3.04 seconds time to throw. And that's pretty high. So Yeah, 3.04. Like this Giants narrative that he just like got ambushed as soon as the ball was snapped and never had time to throw – to those who don't track this stuff, 3.04 seconds time to throw is pretty high. Like, like most quarterbacks are sub three. So Mac Jones was about 2.6 or 2.7. And I was going up against probably the best defensive line in football last week. So I say that too, like not to rub dirt because I know uh, Giants fans always like, don't like to compare the two, but like Daniel Stephen Jones, the third, you're making $46 million this year. You have to play like your $46 million quarterback. And this is the kind of game too, where it's like, Okay, good, but also too, probably no Wandale Robinson, probably no Aziz Ozolari as well. Um, my big concern with them on the line, like Andrew Thomas, I know he's dealing with the hamstring issue, but man, Evan Neal, I'm just like, at first I was like, you know, Evan Neal's got the potential, but then like, dude, the guy was a freaking turnstile on Sunday. So if you can limit that, because this Arizona Cardinals team, I feel like they're going to be bad, but they're going to be bad to where they are going to punch you in the mouth at any given opportunity. I still think this defense is a defense that can play. Offense, offense, obviously, it's different. Like, look, they covered last week, but then they, like you said, they were taken at the Sam Howell. So I don't trust the spread. I trust the Giants to win, but if the Giants win, this is a game where you got to look at it as, like, where do you go from here? Because with the Giants, they have, after this, San Francisco, Seattle, you guys, Buffalo. And they play us. They play us in Miami, I believe. 
in Miami in the heat. I also want to just look it up as well because I know then they also have the Jets week eight when this, that's the rematch actually of you and I when we go down to Fox, when we go down to, and, and the Jets the Jets are coming off a of bye week going into that game because the yes. Jets have a bye week seven. So that's just it. Where if it's like, and then because the, the the Giants buy is week thirteen this year, they have a really late buy window. So it's just like you gotta win a game like this because if you don't win a game like this, that's where the questions come in of is Daniel Jones worth it? Like, how does all these plays come out? Like, even too, like I know they had to set a bad game overall last week, but you barely saw Darren Waller get involved. So if you're Daniel Jones, you have to have a get right game here. You have to. Have to, have to. I know Giants fans are going to be like, oh, you're saying they hate Daniel Jones. No, I'm sorry, but you're going from playing a team that we now look at as one of the best in the NFL to playing as a team we all look at as the worst in the NFL. And if you cannot win that game, there's going to be a lot of question marks. And especially in the market you play in, everyone's going to say, well, was last year really a fluke? Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, LA, San Francisco, I'm going to keep this easy. Uh, I think San Francisco wins this game. I think we all saw that the only game McVay beat him in was the NFC Championship, which I find hilarious. But um, it's just that plus seven I really struggle with. I don't know if the – just because with divisional football, I would lean towards the Rams covering just because we know don't take big spreads in divisional games. Yeah, especially when the the underdog is the home team. Now, granted – you know, I guess this is like one of the few exceptions where like LA and San Francisco um, is not, in fact, probably a home it, game for the Niners. Yeah, they, I was going to say, it's not, not only is it not a home field advantage, I think Niners fans uh, believe, and I believe like evidence has borne this out. There's actually more Niners fans in that stadium than, uh, than LA fans whenever they play there. Uh, but still, the, the same general principle, you, you just never too often want to be taking over a touchdown favorite in a division game. It's just usually not good practice. And the, the Rams looked good last week. They won pretty convincingly. Like, apparently Puka Nakua almost didn't play, which would have been, like, I guess I guess he's still officially questionable, but he didn't practice. Did you all. waste your fantasy value, fantasy football dollars on him? I didn't. No, I, I, I was an even bigger idiot. I drafted him, uh, dropped him before the game started, and then tried to get him back, but got outbid by another manager. So, yeah, I, I'm benefited by the fact that uh, someone else paid that price instead, especially since once Cooper Cup comes back, he's probably not going to have the same role. So uh, There's always all this stuff, too. Like, remember, I remember Elijah Mitchell, I think it was 2021, had, like, a big week one against Detroit, and everyone went crazy for him, and then he was, like, quiet the rest of the season. Um, before we get to a game that's very much noteworthy talking about, obviously Randy loves his DVOA. And Aaron Schatz today came up with the top 10 regular season DVOAs in NFL history. I'm going to share the screen with everybody. And, and this is it right here. So you have the Tulane Patriots, the 1991 Washington Redskins, the 85 Bears, the 2010 Patriots, the 87 Niners, the 96 Packers, the 95 Niners, the 2022 Buffalo B- Bills, the 2019 Ravens, and the 1995 Cowboys. Um, definitely a shocker for Bills Mafia. The new system loves last year's Bills. Um, the one thing I believe all these teams have in common, with the exception of the Patriots, sadly enough, is and the Bills and the Ravens, I want to say those were all Super Bowl years for the rest of those teams. Big Rat, you can correct me if I am wrong. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Close to it, yeah. So I just wanted to share that because as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I have to show you this, and I know Randy's going to get a great kick out of it. So that's our DVOA for the day. There'll probably be more coming in. Um, I'm going to say this right now. Dallas Cowboys, New York Jets. Um, I so love this Jets plus eight and a half. Just for the sole purposes. I feel like, I think every, and also do under. I like the under. I think that this Jets defense is still for real. 
Quentin Williams, even in the loss last week, looked good. The one player, though, I'll say that was kind of quiet last week was Sauce. I feel like we're still going to wait for that Sauce game to come in. And I remember people in the preseason saying, I think this is the one game where we get a quiet game from C.D. Lamb. I feel like Sauce is really going to kind of, you know, have his number. Yeah, I like the Jets, too, uh, begrudgingly. Uh, I can't bet on it or include them in the Fab Five on just uh, stubborn principle. Uh, yes. But I do I do agree. And also, I mean, look, there is some risk. It is Zach Wilson. But certainly what one teams with the first game with a backup quarterback usually do pretty well. Two, the Cowboys offense. Now, granted, they didn't really have to do much last week, but it didn't look great. Uh, it looked okay. They just It just didn't really yeah. matter because it was like 26 to zero immediately. So they could just be conservative the whole time. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Cowboys offense would struggle against this Jets defense a little bit. And if the Cowboys offense is not going to score 20 points, then to cover an eight and a half point spread, I mean, there's very little the Jets have to do to, to get in the cover window there. So I do think if you're going to bet this game, bet on the Jets. I, I read somewhere that the Cowboys minus eight and a half was like the most popular public side, like not anyone who's a sharp or like does betting for a living would ever do that. But like just general public betters, Oh, Zach Wilson's awful. Cowboys are going to roll. Da, 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 da. That's always a trap in betting. Usually the team that blew out a team last week is overrated. And the team that has the bad quarterback is maybe a little bit underrated. So yeah, I, I, I don't got much here. I think the Cowboys are going to win. I think they're probably not going to cover it. It's not, if the Jets win, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Uh, just if they win on the basis of the defense, getting like a couple defensive touchdowns, maybe Brees Hall gets another long run yes. in him, and this time he scores a touchdown on that long run. I would not, if, for those of you out there who are going to be conservative in your survivor pools this week, don't take the Cowboys. Take the Bills. If you're going to be conservative and use a good team that's a big favorite, use the Bills or the Niners maybe, but don't take the Cowboys. I think they're more at risk of a loss than the other two teams are. My mom, who's above me right now, was going to see the Dallas Cowboys in our survival pool. They took Kansas City week one. I kind of cautioned them against that. They still did it. I had Washington. Um, Buffalo is my survival pick for this week as well. I was telling them to, I said, hey, take the Bills. Dallas is kind of that, like, wonky window where don't take them. I'll take Dallas next week when they're going to Arizona, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, also, one point I want to make quickly before we rip to this next quick game. Other reasons to love the Colts, the, the Texans pick and our Titans pick. 76% at DraftKings are on the Chargers. And 72% of people are on the Colts. So that's just the public. public. I love it. Um, same thing too. Washington versus Denver. I'm going to be honest with you. I I like Washington. I don't get the why Denver's the big favorite minus three and a half coming off loss. Because let's be honest with you, last week they pretty much shot themselves in the foot with the Will Lutz missed field goal and the missed extra yeah. point. So when it comes down to this too, this, this is just going to be a defensive – I'm going to quote Jim Ross, a defensive slobber knocker. Yeah, uh, so I agree and I disagree at the same time. So I disagree in the sense that I am on the Broncos on this game. Now, granted, I originally got them when they were minus three. Um, mm. Three and a half is obviously very scary with Russell Wilson as your quarterback because they're very liable to just win by three points. So everyone out there, like if you want to be careful with that, I more than understand. Uh, so I guess for me, the argument is this. Sam Howell kind of didn't look super ready last week. I watched that game a good bit. He got sacked six times. He made some bad throws. He, he's still kind of a rookie. Like, th- this is only his third start this game. Yeah. Like, he's only one start ahead of Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, and Bryce Young. And he's going on the road in a hostile environment. There's a, a, there's a couple stats out there that Denver in September is, like, a significant home field advantage because of the altitude. Uh, to those who don't know, 
those who no, who know but forgot, the Niners lost to the Broncos last year in September, which sounds crazy with how it sucked. It did. It was horrible, and the Niners went on to nearly make the Super Bowl, and the Broncos were awful. But they lost to the Broncos in September. September home field advantage matters for Denver. I know they lost last week. They missed a field goal. It was a division game. Yep. It still doesn't matter in this game. And uh, the other stat that kind of makes me feel a little bit better about Denver, they only had six drives last week, which is so low. Like, to those who don't know, listening to this, like, statistically, Randy, like, usually you'll get, like, nine to ten to eleven drives per game. Getting six drives per game, think about it. That's three drives per half. Like, that. that is, like, like literally one drive per quarter. Your team has the ball, basically. Like, it's, it's a very, very low amount. And one of those six drives ended in a missed field goal. And uh, the, the problem was the Raiders' offense was playing really well. The Broncos' defense didn't get any pressure, and the Raiders marched up and down the field on them. While that is obviously concerning, you know, I would like to think the Broncos' defense won't play that bad back-to-back weeks at home. That's a common theme on this show. Like, rarely do you see a home team do the same thing two weeks in a row. That's why the Steelers, we'll talk about them in a bit, same principle there. And I, I just don't think the Broncos defense is going to get bullied and give up 12 play drives to Sam Howell. I don't know if Sam Howell has the maturity and the betterness to be able to constantly execute on a play to play basis like Jimmy G could. I don't know if Howell at this point in his career is ready to like, you know, have a 12 play 95 yard or 90 yard scoring drive. I, I, I just don't know if that's really within him. So I think the Broncos are going to win. If you want to go risky in Survivor, and it is risky. Don't get me wrong. Super risky because the Broncos can absolutely lose this game. Uh, this is the risk that I would consider because you never want to use Denver ever again after this week. Yeah. Use it, get it over with, move on with your life. Um, but it is a risk. Uh, but I, I, I think the Broncos are going to win this game by less than a touchdown. And how many points? Three, four, six? I don't know. Do you think I should go risky and take the Houston Texans in survival this week? Or do you think I should stick to Buffalo? I like that. Yeah. It depends. I do like that. I'm taking Buffalo too. So it's tricky though. I, I mean, I try not to take division games in Survivor um, as a general yeah. rule, but certainly like we did Houston and Jacksonville a couple of years ago, this would be the same logic for that. So I would understand it. I think I'm, just, I I'm going to play it safe. I think I'd rather wait until like, you know, later on in the season when you can take yeah. those risky picks. But anyway, guys, you've been waiting here. We've gone through the one o'clock. We've gone through the four o'clock. There's still an eight o'clock game talking about what's that game. All oh, right. Miami Dolphins coming up to New England to take on the Patriots. Obviously, Miami with a very dominant Tua game last week, 466 air throw yards, and Tua as well, I believe, 212 yards receiving. And the Patriots coming off of a loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. But I'm here to say one, two, I'm here to make three statements about this game. One, 78% of the public is on Dolphins minus three. Concerning. Two, this is a uniform game for the folks out there who don't know. This guy on my left forearm, Pat Patriot, is going to be center. They're in those sweet red uniforms where they are 7-1 and one in their last eight games wearing them. And the third point I'm going to make about this game, Patriots haven't started 0-2 in the season since 2001, even though, you know what, that season ended pretty well myself. So those are my three reasons why I just love this game. But ultimately, it can go either way. I just feel like the one kryptonite thing is, and we've talked about this before, is the fact that Tua is 4-0 against the Patriots. So we'll see what happens. But I, I don't expect like a blowout like last week. I could see like maybe it tuned down a little bit to be like you know maybe like a twenty-four to twenty kind of football game. But by no means do I think I can see like a 
36 to 34 kind of football game from these teams, just because I think the defenses are going to be so locked in. Yeah, I, I definitely don't see a high-scoring game. Uniform games absolutely matter. I'm with Griff on this because the Dolphins, for years and years and years, everyone loves it when the Dolphins do their 1972 throwback jerseys, and almost always, without fail, they would wait until the December home game against the Patriots to bust them out. And 2017 Monday Night Football, I remember that game. 2018 Miracle in Miami, same thing. Yeah, like very, it's very, it's a very, very common trick that they do because obviously when Brady was there, the home game against the Patriots was like the biggest home game the Dolphins had this year. It's actually probably not even the Bills game. The week before the Bills game, the Dolphins play the Cowboys on Christmas Eve at home. That is, I mean, that game's going to be massive. Like that stadium's literally going to be sold out. It's going to be crazy. So I, I agree. I do not see a high scoring game. And to be honest with you, Griff, I kind of don't want to see a high scoring game. Uh, yeah. Like Danny little rat that he is of course like you know because he's he obviously knew the dolphins were going to beat the chargers last week right like and he like tweets after the game okay this proves nothing about the dolphins really they were three-point underdogs like most people didn't think they would do that all i've heard about Tua my whole fucking life is that ooh, when he gets into a shootout with another elite quarterback and he make the plays you need him to make i mean he's proved it against lamar jackson last year he proved it against justin herbert this year so i i don't like but like one thing he said that i disagreed with to a point, was, well, the Dolphins' defense looked bad. Shouldn't that concern you? If the Dolphins' defense looks like that in December, yes, absolutely, that's a problem. Like, I was one of the first people in the Dolphins' fan base last year, as Tua was going on his hot streak, when he went at Detroit, at Chicago, home to the Browns, weeks, like, 8 through 10 or something like that. And Overs were hitting. What? Overs were hitting. The overs were hitting in all three of those games, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they, they went over 30 points in all three games. He had nine touchdowns and zero interceptions in that three-game span, and he had over 300 yards per game each game. So it was like an unreal – like that was when his MVP odds were at its highest last year. And during that stretch, I saw the Dolphins' defense get torched by the Lions. This was back when the Lions were mm. still like 1-6 at the time. I saw the Dolphins' defense get torched by the Bears – and I started to lose faith in our ability to make a playoff run because I thought, as I said on the show with you and Griff and Danny last time, what happens in the playoffs when you have to go at Cincinnati or at Kansas City because you're probably not going to win the division, like, are you just going to give up 30 points? Like, that's that's not a conducive way to win. So, absolutely, I agree with Danny. If the defense is bad the whole year, yes, that's a problem. I just don't think them being bad in week one means they're going to be bad the whole year. The example I no. gave him was last year the Eagles in week one gave up 30 points to the Lions. And the Eagles' defense had the most sacks since the 85 Bears. Like, granted, yes, they got lucky. They played an easy schedule, all that. But still, it was it was a mm-hmm. caliber defense. And them giving up 30 points in week one didn't prove that it wasn't caliber. And furthermore, unlike last year, the Dolphins might actually win the division this year, so they might get home games in the playoffs. And as I said for years on the show, the Dolphins' home field advantage is underrated. The Dolphins' defense plays great at home. During the Brian Flores, Josh Boyer era, we'll see if it translates in the Vic Fangio era. So, to be honest with you, yes, I do kind of, if we're giving up 30 points to the Chargers, it's like, okay, people thought they were Super Bowl contenders. You know, Herbert, Keenan Allen, Kellen Moore, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Quinton Johnson. With all due respect to your Patriots, who you know I'm like a closet supporter of. If, <laughs> if, the, Patriots score, Love it. if the Patriots score 34 points on our defense, that's a problem. Like, I do not think that offense is in the shape to score 34 points. And I have a few questions on you about this stuff, but like doing my research this week for this game, like it does seem like the guards are coming back. Cole Strange and Unwenu. 
They have been practicing all week. Trent Brown is a big question mark, and so is City Sal as well. They've been on the injury report all week, obviously both dealing with concussion issues. Um, There's a point I was going to make to you as well. And even with Teron Armstead being on the injury report all week as well, and Jalen Phillips popping on there today, Jonathan Jones popping up, there's a lot of injury questions on both sides. This game is going to be won in the trenches. Yeah. This is going to be a game won by which offensive line holds up the best because we talked about it. Both offensive lines are in question all year. Just yours because of health, ours because of play, just because we never really had the players there. And then we brought in Riley Reef. He's on the four-game injured list, or he's in the IR for a minimum of four games. Cole Strange doesn't play last week. Michael Wenu doesn't play. City Sal did hold his own, though, and I'm trying to blank on who played um, right guard. But if both Strange and Owenu play Sunday, I think our odds go up dramatically. It's just a matter of the tackle position then because, look, I know I know he's on the Cowboys now, but I always think of Noah Ipanogany. Always just, he'd, get, he'd get a sack. Like, I know, for example, like a Dolphin defender I feel like is very underrated that I feel like is going to get pressure on Sunday is Van Ginkle. I feel like he's always there. Um, we'll see what I think. I feel like the Jalen Ramsey factor is huge just because, look, you're there. And one player, I'm going to say this right now, I've been calling him underrated for years, and people have been saying, like, oh, you're being a homer. Dallas Goddard had zero receptions last week. Kyle Duggar will be an all-pro safety one day. Mark my words. Kyle Duggar is one of the uh, – even last year, if you look at the game week three against Baltimore, Mark Andrews cooked us because no Kyle Duggar in the lineup. So he's a huge factor in that as well. And like I said, too, I think it's just defensive lines because these are two defensive lines. Like, look, they're not top of the league, but they're right there. Like Zach Sealer, Christian Wilkins, Matthew Judon, Dietrich Wise. And another player I'm going to tell you right now who had Jordan Mailata on skates last week. If you want to make a long shot bet for defensive rookie of the year, Keon White, the second round defensive edge from Georgia, perfect Patriot player. And even to Jabril Peppers laid the boomstick on Jalen Hurts on the fumble last week. So we'll see what happens, but ultimately – all these defenders, I think, are ultimately what's going to win you the game. Is it the Vic Fonjo defense or is it the Bill Belichick, Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo defense? Yeah, I think I think the defense is key in both of these games. I, I in both for both yep. of these teams. I, I think it's going to be a low scoring game for that reason. It's also you know division game. The Tua Patriots games have always there's, there's never been any high scoring games yeah, either. Like tw- twenty to seven was the most recent one last year. Seventeen sixteen. Yep. Like the, the game at the end of 2021 was misleading because the Dolphins had like that touchdown when you guys were trying to lateral it at the very end of the game. So that was probably like 29, 20 or something like that. But it, it wasn't the, – the game flow was not representative of the score that high at all. And so the two uh, – these games, Belichick is obviously going to come up with a better defensive game plan than Brandon Staley is. And I think the Dolphins' defense is not going to play that bad again. I think the Dolphins – the Chargers' offensive line – was renowned going into the season. I heard a few podcasts that say they could have a top 10 O-line this year. And I know they're not known for that traditionally, but just with, with the dra- Rashawn Slater came back, draft pick of Zion Johnson last year, Corey Lindsley was able to play um, and was healthy for that game. Their offensive line bullied us. I have a lot of respect for the Patriots guards. I, I know Cole Strange and Nwanu can be very good. So yep. I, by no means am I trying to disrespect them, but I do think that with if you got if, if, if Trent Brown isn't able to play, I do think the Dolphins D line should play better in this game and they should get more pressure. And like Mac Jones and Tua both like barely got sacked last week. That I don't think that's gonna happen this week. I think both D lines are gonna get more pressures, more QB hits. Both teams are gonna try to run the ball. I feel like the Patriots are gonna dare the Dolphins to run the ball like 30 times. Like basically that's gonna be the, the theory of the game plan is we're not gonna let you get explosive with Reek and Waddle. We're just gonna let you run the ball and give you light boxes all day and let Raheem Mostert and Salvan Ahmed beat us. And I think the Dolphins, the Dolphins rush defense got bullied last week. And Christian Wilkins, let me tell you, there was a 
Christian Wilkins held out all summer, wanted a big contract. And the, whole knock, against, <laughs> and, and the whole knock against him was he doesn't impact the pass rush as much as he does as a run defender. But as a run defender, he's elite. He got bullied last week. He got pushed aside by the Chargers' interior offensive line. And he's fighting for a contract. He can't do that every week because they will not extend him at the number he wants if he plays like he did on Sunday. So I feel like he, especially on Sunday Night Football, after fighting for his contract all summer that he didn't get, he's got a point to prove. And I think if the Dolphins give up 200 rushing yards again, I think it reflects so badly on him, on Zach Sealer, on Raekwon Davis. I feel like they're all going to come in with something to prove. But the, the, to your point, though, like my whole hope for the Dolphins' vulnerability against the Patriots' O-line was that right tackle spot. And that's Jalen Phillips. That's where Jalen Phillips plays. So if he's out, now granted, because the Dolphins have some depth on defense, Emmanuel Ogba would be his replacement. So it's not like you're putting in some rando in there. But still, I would prefer to see Jalen Phillips in the game. So if he's if he's hurt, that definitely – if Onwenu and Strange both play and Jalen Phillips is out, that helps the Patriots' odds tremendously because then the Dolphins' D-line's ability to dominate the game goes way down uh, with Ogba being in there. But to your point on Van Ginkle, a lot of non-Dolphin fans wouldn't know this. Uh, David Long, who was like highly touted offseason signing for us, every, I, I touted him on the show. Everyone had like such high hopes for him. He only played 17 snaps last week, and that wasn't because of injury. Like he genuinely just had a – he kind of only played on, on rundowns. Like whenever they went to nickel or dime defense, they took him off the field, and they played Van Ginkle and Jerome Baker as the two main linebackers. Van Ginkle played like 60 snaps. So like it's shocking to me because they re-signed Van Ginkle – on a minimum contract, it wasn't clear that he was coming back to the team. They gave David Long two years, $10 million, and Van Ginkle ended up out-snapping him by a lot. So if Jalen Phillips is not going to be there to take advantage of your right tackle, can Emmanuel Ogba, can Van Ginkle make a good play, can watch out for Brandon Jones in this game. He barely played last week because he was still coming back from injury, and the Dolphins won the game at the very end, blitzing with Justin Bethel, um, kind of like those like safety slot corner blitzes out of nowhere on Justin Herbert that won the game. That's Brandon Jones's job. As I say on the show, one of the best blitzing safeties in the league. He just was still recovering from his offseason injury from last year. Uh, last week, I think he's going to play more this week. And I think he's the guy that they'll blitz uh, from the safety spot. Not Bethel, not Javon Holland, not anyone else. And if you guys want a anytime touchdown parlay, I got two guys I really like from New England. I'm going to go Ramondre Stevenson. He didn't get in the end zone last week. I feel like he'll, he will this week. He's and from he's Miami. Crazy. He scares me. Or I love the guy. Um, I want to get his jersey. It's just I'll wait for him to sign a second contract before I do that. And the other one from Miami, going to go Jalen Waddle. I feel like Jalen Waddle – because I feel like this week too, and Peter King made this point on Pro Football Talk today. That's one of my main football podcasts I go to. If you double Tyreek, you're going to open up Jalen Waddle. You're going to open up – I'm blanking on the other receiver's it's name. Braxton Berrios. Braxton, former Patriots. So it's just like a hellish thing. Jake Bailey homecoming as well. So – there's just all these avenues where I'm like, hey, you can double Tyreek all you want because Christian Gonzalez and uh, Jonathan Jones did really well against A.J. Brown last week, but Tyreek Hill is another animal. So we'll see how the Patriots secondary holds up. I feel like this is a big litmus test game for them to see how they can hang with the better one of the better teams in the NFL as a whole. I would, I would, yeah, double Reek, try to put some sort of bracket coverage on Waddle, trust mm-hmm. Kyle Duggar to shut down Durham Smythe, which he – probably would and to those who think like that that's like there was my thought like eight targets last week like he was strangely very involved in the passing game despite like not being a high profile tight end so having Kyle Duggar shut him down which I have no doubt that he can do and then you're basically daring the Dolphins to win with their running backs you're daring the Dolphins either running with them or throwing passes to them 
And I think that's how the Patriots, I think, kind of want the game to be. Two fun facts before we go. Actually, three fun facts before we go. I also like the under because the last time both these teams went over 30 points combined was the Miracle Miami game, 2018. <laughs> wow, what a stat. Yep. Um, the, uh, what's the other one? Tua's middle name I learned today is Donnie. Fun enough. And the last time these two teams played, Kyle Duggar had a pick six. So I don't expect that to happen again. I just wanted to throw that out there. But I believe that was a play where Teddy Bridgewater broke his hand. Um, yeah. And uh, la- 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 last point I wanted to mention, uh, is Devontae playing in this game? He's been on the injury report. I honestly don't expect him to. I feel like we'll see what happens. There's the whole Juju stuff as well. So I feel like he needs to have a big game as well. And also just from the revenge factor, I would expect Mike Gesicki to have more of a role. He had a couple catches last week, but damn, Hunter Henry looked really good. I feel like we're back to seeing the Hunter Henry of 2021 and the Charger days, Hunter Henry. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see if how much respect the Dolphins give Gesicki because it's kind of a thing locally where there's a lot of people locally that think you can cover Gasecki with slot corners, even if they're smaller, they, they, he won't run away from them. And some of their slot corners can high point the ball enough to challenge him. So I'll be very curious. Are they going to put like, are they going to put like Javon Holland on Gasecki? Or are they going to put like Kader Kahu? Are they going to put a linebacker on Gasecki? I'm curious to see like what level of respect they give Gasecki with their coverage. And as crazy as it sounds as a Patriots fan, because I, you may not want to rely so much on Pop Douglas and uh, Keishon Butte, especially after last week. Yeah. But I will say, like, Xavier Howard has absolutely owned Devontae Parker his entire career. Last week, they played week one. Like, he caused an interception on the first Patriots drive when Mac Jones was trying to throw to Devontae in the end zone. Like, Xavier Howard owns him, has always owned him, owns him in practice. Devontae gets no separation anyways, as you know. But yeah. Xavier, so he's not going to – be the kind of guy that's going to go in the slot and give Xavier Howard problems like Keenan Allen was doing last week, like Antonio Brown always did to Xavier Howard like back in his heyday. So as crazy as it sounds, you might be better off if Devontae Parker doesn't play just because it forces the Patriots to play other receivers that Xavier Howard doesn't know as well and maybe yes. doesn't have that kind of advantage on them. Yeah, and then Devontae Parker comes back week three and has a great game against the uh, New York Jets, but that's for next week's show. Um, anyway, two more games left on the day. Um, wait, wait, we're not going to be- score? Oh, score, score, score. Yes, yes. Let's do scores. You first. All right. I think this is going to be a 21-17 Dolphins win, but I can very easily see it being a 21-17 Patriots win. I'm not delusional. I'm expecting a low-scoring game. I'm expecting both teams to use the running backs a lot. I'm expecting sacks on both sides of the ball. So it's just going to be a question of whose defensive playmaker makes the signature player. You guys going to get a pick six? Is Jalen Phillips going to play? Is he going to get a strip sack fumble? Like, which defensive player makes the key play in the game? I'm going to go 24-20 New England. I feel like it's a very similar game to what we saw week 17 last year, where it's like, same thing too. Kyle Duggar pick six was the big difference maker there. And obviously how there's the Melvin Gordon, uh, not Melvin Gordon, Melvin Ingram strip sack touchdown week one last year. So I feel like it's going to be one of those that is just a huge difference makers. Let's have fun Sunday night. Let's have fun Sunday night. May the best man win. Uh, Big Ryan and I will break it all down for you next Thursday night as well. Um, Monday Night Football, um, my dad's upstairs. He's going to kill me for saying this. I, I, I don't know why, but something about the Carolina Panthers. I like the plus three. I don't know why. Because yeah. the last two – like, here's the other thing, too. They've beaten them four of their – like, three of their last four. Yeah, and uh, I saw the numbers that, like, since Breeze left, like, the Saints have, like, been awful in Carolina. Like, they get murdered every year. Like, something – like the- one year was the COVID year, but last year I remember they really got like taken to the woodshed. And I, and I was always like, Saints are going to cover this game, yada, yada, yada. And then the opposite happened. So I feel like maybe we for reverse fortune, maybe the Saints win for my dad. But um, I don't know why I look at the Carolina plus three and I'm just like, there's something about that. Yeah, home 
home division dogs, home division dogs. Um, it is kind of, it's on Monday Night Football. It's one of the Panthers' biggest games this whole season. I do like it too. I think the Saints, like I told you, were a little overrated. Uh, so I, 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 I'll say Panthers, uh, but it's close. I can see it kind of going either way. Uh, we'll see. But to those like like tracking the Saints, like we don't have to repeat it now, but like go look at the Saints schedule this year. It's insane. They play like three good teams total. It, it's absolutely wild. And I yeah. guess now we can go to the, the other game. Um, I want to look that up just because I'm curious. I know they come to New England week five. I know that for a fact. So Thanksgiving in my house is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but the, yeah, like with them, okay, they play the pack. Then they go to Lambeau to play the Packers versus okay. the Bucks. Patriots, Texans, Jags, Colts, Bears, Vikings, bye week. There's a like, and then Falcons, Lions, Panthers, Giants, Rams, Bucks, Falcons, like, and also too with uh, December to January, they have four of their last six at home. Yeah, like I, I guess now, now that we have more information on Jordan Love, the Packers game doesn't look as easy as it did a few weeks ago. But other than that, I mean, most of those games are very winnable. Like the Giants game looks easier than it did a few weeks ago. A lot of winnable games. And I know we like to say that teams bounce back really well, but I'm sorry, I'm not doing it with the I'm not doing it with the Pittsburgh Steelers. For one reason, I like the number, and I like this to be a low-scoring game as well. By the way, both Monday nights, I like to be low-scoring. I think it's just like even like I'm, I'm going to look it up as well while you're talking. But it's a uniform game for the Browns. A lot of people don't like those white helmets and white jersey. I'm looking at that right now, and also I feel like this is because the player in the photo is also the player I need to be big in fantasy, and that is your boy from the U, David and Joku. So I'm like, that's why I'm hoping for it as well. But like. I feel like this is a game, too, where we can really determine, like, hey, is Deshaun Watson back, or is it still he's not, like, he's just still not good? I think feel like for both teams, too, this is really topsy-turvy. Plus, two, like how we were talking earlier to start the show, we started with Cincinnati falling 0-2 division. Cleveland could be very easily 2-0 in division play after this game as well. Yeah, and I just, I, I, I do, and look, I, I guess I'm, I am on the Steelers. They're my fifth against the spread pick this week. I just think it's hard for them to play that bad at home two weeks in a row. This is on Monday Night Football. Mike Tomlin is like Mike Frable. They kind of they have that resilience to them whenever they're kind of down. It's a talk about like the Bengals season on the line. I mean, fuck, if you're the Steelers, you're not 0 2 in the division. But if you lose at home to the Browns, that's maybe the easiest division game you have. The other games are all two games against the Ravens and Bengals, and then a road Browns division game. Yeah. This is it. This is as easy as it gets for them. And I have a hard time seeing Deshaun Watson playing well in this game. It's on the road. I think TJ Watt is going to be very, very impactful in this game. And I just, I really struggle to see Watson like going off. And if he does, hats off to him. I'll admit to being wrong about the Browns this year, but I just think he's going to struggle. And I think this is a classic, like we say, how much of week one was real? How much was a mirage? The Steelers got rocked. The Browns looked really good. So naturally, we're going to think the Browns are now going to win this game, but I don't know about that. The Browns were at home. The Browns have owned the Bengals, as we've always talked about, in the Joe Burrow era. Joe Burrow wasn't healthy. He himself admitted that. They didn't look like themselves. And, you know, so. Oh, and he's uh, oh, he's there, but his pitcher is gone. Um, I'm just saying I like the Browns. I say that you're – oh, no, he's there. I'm back. Sorry, he's back. Really yeah, uh, Steelers. That's all good. Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. I'm on the Brownies for fun. Uh, before we go quickly, I'm just going to repeat the um, – this is for a pro football database. Same site I got the um, Patriots and Dolphins info from. But the last four – so the last 21 and 22 seasons. 26-7, to 7, Carolina beat New Orleans. And then 
18 to 10, Saints beat the Panthers. Last year in Carolina, the Panthers won 22 to 14, and then 10 to 7 last year on a barn burner at the end of the season. So that's another reason why I'm saying ugly football game as well, because let's be honest too, with Steelers and Browns, that's games one defensively, and I'm sorry. Miles Garrett doing the crossover and then just getting through to the quarterback. That is no more of a baller move than that. that I am sick. sorry. That was really sick. There's just like all those like fun things that just make you go, God, I love this game. Like when you see fun, when you see fun shit like that going down. And it'll be fun to watch like two games. I believe the games are at the same time. So that'll be kind of fun. 7-15 and 8-15. Okay. So, so kind of like Eagles, yeah. Vikings, and the Titans both game last year. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I was going to ask you this before we go. Do you miss the week one when they did like a seven o'clock game and then like a ten o'clock game? You know, I I did, uh, I do, but I I think doing it in week two is kind of interesting too because it's kind of like, you know, week one now they'll put a more high profile game on Monday Night Football and then you get two games the next week, so you kind of have two high profile weeks on Monday Night Football. Yep. Whereas before you would probably just have the great doubleheader week one, and. When they did that, they kind of had to use a West Coast team for the 10 o'clock game. So you got to see a lot of Broncos, a lot of Chargers, a lot of Rams, a lot of 49ers. Uh, so I, can, I, I see arguments both ways. I'm, I'm happy with the current system, though. And one of the best ones was the Sam Darnold week one game where they went to Detroit one big. And it was like, here's the new Jets. And then, no, the Jets were bad. Um, yep. Quick question for you before we go. Obviously, I just want to switch gears to college. Ooh. Do you buy the Colorado Buffaloes? I do up to a point. Like, do I believe they could beat a lot of middling Power 5 teams? Yes. So them being ranked 18th in the country, I do think is appropriate. I do think it's earned. However, it's not just that they have to play USC. They have Utah. to play Oregon. What? Utah as well. Yeah, and Oregon too. And Oregon, there's like a crazy stat out there that Oregon has like, they've gotten like 70% of the available yards that they could get so far this season. So like they, they score a touchdown or a field goal every drive basically. And so that's... That's three like really strong Pac-12 teams you have to deal with. And while I'm happy with their success, while I, I do think they can beat most middling Power 5 teams, being able to beat these teams that have been recruiting at a high level and coaching the same program with the same coach for three years, and then you can turn over your entire roster in the summer with 57 transfers and beat those established programs that are, that are going to be good this year because most people thought TCU was going to take a step back. They lost Max Dugans. They lost Quentin Johnson. They lost a few of the guys they had on, on defense in the secondary from the national title team, a contender team. Yeah. Uh, so m- most people did think TCU was going to take a step back. And then beating all these minutes like Nebraska and Colorado State, that's fine. But trusting them to beat USC, Oregon, and Utah, I just don't think we're there yet. And maybe they'll shut me up, but I, I just don't know if we have enough evidence yet, especially defensively. Like I just – I like Shadur Sanders is great and Travis Hunter's great. I just don't know if that's good enough to carry the defense from giving up like 30 points to those teams. Like tomorrow night, I don't know if if I want to bet that game, I don't know if I would take them on the spread. I would take them on the over because I feel like both teams are going to score points. Yeah. But they have Oregon and USC in back to back weeks coming up. So I feel like like if I'm a betting per if I'm a betting man, which you know what I am, I think next week you hammer the ducks just because that's a game where everyone's like, Oh, Colorado first big test. And it's like, boom, no, you get blown out of the building. And it's like, how do you respond? So that's how I look at it with there. The one team that's honestly impressed me has been Florida state. I know you probably hate to hear me say that, but man, Travis hunt, like, but they, they looked, it's just, they looked good. LSU. I was just like, I don't know what's going on here, but I still feel like with college football, you're still going to have your usual suspects sitting at the dinner table come the end of the year. The only thing I will say is though, 
Bama will not be there. I'm sorry. They have a good, they have a great defense, but Jalen Milrow is a freak of an athlete, but he cannot throw the football. And breaking news, this literally happened as we were recording. Ooh. Bama announced this week they're making a quarterback change. They are now bent, they're benching Jalen Milrow in week three. They're benching him for the Notre Dame transfer, Tyler Buckner. And mind you, they're playing USF this weekend. They were probably going to win anyways. And yeah. they still chose to bench Jalen Milrow. That's that's a problem. They're like a 31 and a half point favorite. Like li- literally like 10 minutes ago, this happened. It's crazy. Yeah. And then before one more quick question with college. Do you think Texas can make the playoff? I do. I, I Quinn Ewers, to those who don't follow this stuff, Quinn Ewers was he had a perfect, perfect recruiting ranking from 247 coming out of high school. Like they grade their system out of one. Like so most of the top recruits are like 0.98, 0.97, 0.96. Quinn Ewers had a grade of one. Like he was truly like one of the three best high school quarterbacks to ever come out according to their model. That doesn't mean he was the actual like best high school quarterback ever, but just according to their model, he was one of the best recruits ever. And he lost out the job at Ohio State to C.J. Stroud. No shame there. That's an NFL quarterback. Things happen. Now, Texas last year had already started to show signs of growth with cute Quinn Ewers, but traditionally he was very bad with the deep ball. Like he was usually inaccurate when he had to throw the ball beyond 20 yards. And in that Bama game, you saw him complete a lot of those deep passes. And unlike, and like, I, yes, Florida State did look awesome. There's no other way to say it. Like I, I, I'm not, I hate them. I really hope my Canes beat them this year, not expecting it. They do go at Clemson next week. That, that may yeah. be interesting. Clemson's on a down year too, but it still is in Death Valley. It's not a road or a neutral site game. So we'll see there. Texas, they are still playing a Big 12 schedule. So the thing is, there's no matter how good you think they are, after Bama, there's really no one else in their schedule that really intimidates you, that they you think that they would present some problems to. Like, yes, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. But Got the it's over. Like, <laughs> it's general like Big 12 fears. It's not anything at the national level. So like I saw a good segment on Deadspin that analyzed which of Texas or Florida State can make the playoff. And they actually said Texas, not because they've looked better than Florida State, just because they, they don't have as, as intimidating of a schedule in their conference that they have to worry about. Whereas Florida State has to play Clemson, they play Miami. I think they play UNC, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, but like that's the thing. Like Texas is just one of those things where they can coast. They have the Big Twelve aspect to them. So if I had to pick on like who was going to be there, I'd probably say Georgia for obvious reasons. Probably say USC. Probably say Texas. So if you wanted to throw in a fourth Michigan. there, Michigan. Michigan. But then Michigan, Michigan. I just don't know because I feel like every year like they get to the playoff and then like it just like twenty twenty one. We all knew. Look, they beat. They did what they needed to do. But then last year, it was like, hey, you were supposed to get there. What happened? So I feel like this year is a huge year where for Michigan, it's no longer beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. It's be in Houston that first weekend, that first Monday in January. And uh, uh, Florida State does not play UNC. I just checked. But they still go okay. at Clemson and they still play Miami. So the. Oh, uh, folks, he uh, appears to have been gone. So that's just, that's the big thing. As he is coming, he's coming back in now. He's coming back in. Now. What were you going to say about the lovely Seminoles? Let's see. Can we hear him? Oh, oh, oh. Tech, folks, these things happen. This is a Friday night. He is joining mobily. So if you want to see three <laughs> big rap for a second, there was two of you for a second and me. But now we're here. So what were you going to say about your beloved Wink Wink Seminoles? Uh, yeah. So the on, on uh, the Seminoles, they still have to go to Clemson. They still have to play Miami. But for Michigan, it, the thing is, Ohio State, there's a lot of people that are skeptical of them this year because ever since Stroud left, with Kyle McCord there and with uh, Devin Brown, the like highly rated recruit after Kyle McCord, who was also a five-star. 
there's not as much confidence that their offense is going to be able to hold up against high-level Power 5 competition. And remember, Michigan beat them in Ohio State last year. So the game this year is back in Michigan. So for that reason, like Michigan has a good track to get back to the playoff because none of those Big Ten teams really scare them. The team to watch out for is Penn State because they have they have this guy, Drew Aller, at quarterback, who was the number one quarterback out of high school last year. Yeah. And he... The, the belief was because they had a, they had a, they had Sean Clifford be their quarterback for years and it was so he was so mid he would do the same thing every year lose to the same top teams every year it was the same nine and three ten and two Penn State team you always saw with this guy it could be like when Florida State went from EJ Manuel to Jameis Winston back in 2013 where they went from like a consistent two to three loss team to a team that can win it all because the rest of that roster on both sides of the ball is really talented so Penn State's a team to watch out for if it's not Michigan, but I think you'll see Georgia, USC, Texas, one of Michigan or Penn State, with the wild card being if USC loses too many games, then maybe Florida State or Miami gets in ahead of them. Um, the only thing, too, I think preventing USC is if they don't win the Pac-12. I feel like you yeah. like that was the big knock on them last year was losing the Pac-12 championship to yep. Utah. So if they don't win the um, – they don't win the Pac-12. That's kind of it. I know it's a Pac-12 song swung as well. But, look, you're going to the Big Ten next year. And this is I feel like for USC, this is a big now and every year for the Trojans. Fair enough. Yep. Especially considering, too, Lincoln Riley's probably going to be coaching the Arizona Cardinals next year. Well, anyway, guys, that's going to do it here. YWC Football Talk, 246 in the bag. All the best to Big Rat and his Dolphins. All the best to me and my Patriots. Anyway, guys, two more episodes next week. Monday more, Monday night, McGarvin's back here. we got a lot to talk about. Thursday night, Danny Dimes in primetime, episode number seven. Have a good night, guys. Enjoy week two of the NFL season. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.